0: Manchester Museum has 4.5 million objects but how many of them does it have the right to keep and how many should be returned to their origin countries? That's a tough and searching question for the museum's director Esme Ward. This is the Manchester Weekly from the mill. Hello there, I'm Daryl Morris. Yoshi Herman is the editor of Greater Manchester's quality newspaper delivered by email, The Mill. Hello, Yoshi. Hi. Welcome to another of our Sunday editions of the podcast, a deep dive into a big story or um, a character. And Esme Ward is a really important figure, isn't she, Yoshi, in Manchester's cultural landscape.
1: Yeah, she's been a paying subscriber to the mill for ages. And I spoke to her about a year ago about these interesting questions about what it's like to run a museum in the the age of, you know, Black Lives Matter and decolonization and all these questions about what museums should have and what they should sort of uh, release. And she had some really interesting thoughts on that. So I thought, given that there's this big revamp um, going on at the museum, it would be great to have her on. Um, to hear about those questions and, and the museum itself.
0: OK, Esme's got a really rich history, working for the VA and and at the National Trust, uh, and as well as that, Whitworth Art Gallery in Manchester. She was part of the leadership team there for a while. Now, the director of Manchester Museum, the first woman to hold that role in its entire history as well, by the way, joined us for a chat to get into the weeds of some of those big issues and where Manchester Museum, currently undergoing some big renovations, finds itself now. Esme, welcome to the Manchester Weekly from the Mill. Thank you for being with us.
2: Oh, pleasure to be here. Really good to
0: be here. You've been running the museum through a heck of a time, a pandemic Mm -hmm. as well, most recently, which we'll come to in a sec, but also a big, huge renovation. Let's let's start there. As you look around you at the museum, £50 million worth of renovation, we're led to believe. How are things shaping up?
2: Oh, they are um, every week you come in and we've moved on that bit further. So, yeah, 15 million pounds, a lot of money. But I I really like to use the word transformation because, yes, it is about the bricks and mortar changes and there will be a new, there is a new new story extension. There will be a whole host of new galleries, a new exhibition hall, big new South Asia gallery, a Chinese culture gallery, a new belonging galleries, so lots more spaces full of extraordinary stories, collections, people, but also quite a lot of transformations about other spaces in the museum. So a new entrance on Oxford Road, mm. so people will actually know where the museum is and how to get in through the door. <laughs> That's really good. Um, but also, actually, some really important spaces to us. So, kind of more inclusive spaces, which I think speak a little bit more to maybe what museums need to be for now and for the future. Yeah. Things like a really beautiful picnic area so that you avoid that feeling if you take your own food into museums that you're in some way a kind of second class citizen. Yeah. A therapy room. We do a lot of work with young people. Mm-hmm. We're actually a registered college for neurodiverse young people, as well as being a museum, and we're really interested in the role museums can play in relation to mental health. So we have a dedicated therapy room on our top floor. And in fact, the entire top floor of the museum has probably undergone one of the biggest transformations which is part of a broader opening up of the museum. So the top floor is actually, although we're close to the public, we are open on the top floor to education and environmental charities yeah. that share our mission and they're based with us. And so we have all of these different people on our top floor using the museum in different ways, thinking about how collectively we build a more sustainable world. And then also just other spaces. So we have a dedicated prayer space, a new space in the museum and a changing place. So a fully accessible mm. toilet so that we are able to essentially welcome as broad a range of visitors and be as inclusive as we possibly can be.
1: Yeah. And and Esme, it sounds like you are taking this opportunity of this enormous transformation mm. to subtly change or maybe to subtly reflect what the new and emerging ideas about what the role of a museum sort of are. I mean, it was interesting. Mm -hmm. I was in Liverpool recently speaking to someone at the Walker Art Gallery, and, you know, they they are very much changing how they see themselves it's not just about displaying beautiful pictures it's about giving much more sort of historical context they're very keen for people to know the context around how some of the the pieces there were obtained and that kind of thing tell us mm. as, as someone who's running the new museum how is the role of a museum in a place like Manchester changing?
2: Do you know, this is really fascinating, and I'm kind of torn on this one. So, on the one hand, I absolutely agree with you. There is very clearly the social purpose of museums, a space where you bring generations together, where you have a focus on more inclusive histories, and you are really upfront about how collections are here, and why they're here, and the relationships you build with those communities most closely associated with those collections, whether those are source communities from across the world, diaspora communities, whoever they may be, all of that I think is absolutely the work of museums. We should be doing more and more of it and be much more open. But actually a little bit of me also, because I'm a heritage person, Mm. it was ever thus, and Manchester's got actually a really incredible heritage in relation to museums. Mm. So we kid ourselves that the, lots of the things we're doing are new and they're really not. So in, in Manchester, in the late 19th century, in Ancoats, there was something called the Manchester Art Museum. Mm. The Manchester Art Museum had a juvenile employment exchange mm. at the heart of the museum, it had a poor man's lawyer that was mm. in the entrance mm. <laughs> um right. every every week they were doing so much work with schools the educational work they were doing work around environmental action mm. you know there are so many things which actually in in this city with its heritage, have actually always been part of the work of museums. So maybe we're really reimagining those for the world we're in now. That actually those ideas haven't gone away. And Manchester Museum's unusual because it's a it's a university museum, and it's always been a university museum since the doors opened in eighteen ninety. And when the doors opened, it was presented as an appeal to the civic spirit, the scientific curiosity and the devotion of the townsfolk of Manchester. Mm. And um, that was pretty good to me, actually, um, as a, a way for us to think about what that civic spirit needs to mean today what that scientific and other forms of curiosity are and actually to think about devotion and love and empathy and care for our world and each other Mm. those feel really really contemporary and relevant so Mm. yes i agree with you but also maybe um maybe we've just forgotten where we came from a little
0: Ah, that's really fascinating, yeah. You talked brilliantly there, Esme, about the role of the museum or the museum's place within the community. Mm-hmm. Are you also in trend with, you know, the way that people are thinking these days, having a think a second look at some of the things that are within the museum and their mm-hmm. role within the museum? And, and actually, you know, bluntly, whether they have a place there?
2: Oh, absolutely. Um, So in fact, one of the first galleries you'll come to is called the Belonging Gallery. And the first case that you will come to um, is, is almost empty because... The collections that you would ordinarily find in that case Mm. are where I argue they really belong, which is they're in Australia because we returned them, repatriated them in 2019 to Aboriginal communities. They were secret, sacred ceremonial items. And so actually what we will have in that case instead is those communities sharing with us, the good folk of Manchester, the revitalization of those objects and within those communities and really getting us to think about where do things belong? Mm. You know, the language of museums even, you know, they, we called them collections, mm. artifacts, objects. It's really, it's a bit grim, it's quite dehumanizing. And the belonging gallery got its name from a conversation I'd had back in 2018 with a, uh, an indigenous leader in, uh, in Canada who just looked at me and just said, you know, dear, of course we just call them belongings and it's really shaped a lot of our thinking. And we have a, um, we're I think the only museum in Europe to have a curator of indigenous perspectives. So after we've started that work, and the returns that we made to Australia, we not only have a curator of Indigenous Perspectives in, we have another curatorial colleague, a Curator of Living Cultures, in his job title and his role is to proactively explore our collections, to look at the provenance, to look at where they're from, with a clear commitment to repatriation and restitution, where appropriate. So I think this is absolutely the work of museums, And I'll be honest, I get very frustrated that um, so often the public conversation about repatriation is framed almost as what you lose. Mm. And my experiences and our experiences at the museum could not be further from that. We have gained so much, not just kind of new insights and understanding of the collections we do hold, but new relationships, new opportunities, new partnerships. So I I think we're on a real kind of cusp in museums about us stepping into a role that maybe starts to explore our collections very actively with others, And with those people most closely connected to those collections.
0: We don't have to dwell on this for too long, Esme, but but just very briefly, I mean, you allude there to the sort of public conversation about these things. Mm. And, you know, it's an issue that's got itself tied up in a culture war, hasn't it? Um, And, you know, a a tabloid newspaper might throw the word woke at you, Esme, as a derogatory term. Is that something that you have sort of felt any heat from?
2: It's an interesting one. I don't know. I, mean, I personally have felt heat. I mean, in terms of a sector, it's very live issue within yeah. our sector. How could it not be? And... I've, I've been thinking a lot I, with colleagues about this, because I think, you know, one of the things that's really, the reason I love museums so much is because they really are one of the few spaces, I feel, few free spaces, actually, where we have the opportunity to bring generations and different people together mm. to explore the complexity of what it means to be human. Mm. and. Actually, the debate, the public debate, mm. those culture wars, the contestation, the uh, the use of you know the language is so warlike. In a way, I really want to push back against that mm. because what I'm interested in doing is opening up the conversation and the debate i want to understand i want to know more and i think if we can find a way to focus on greater empathy and understanding mm. that is going to hold us in really good stead moving forwards and our visitors are so interested in having these conversations mm. so Back in 2020, um, between lockdowns, we have a tusk from Benin that was, uh, to be clear, it absolutely was looted. Mm. It was taken, uh, stolen from the 1897 uh, expedition, um, the sacking of Benin City. And we shared with our visitors that this is what we know. These be the facts. Where does this belong? because we wanted, and we had a book out and, and the conversations in that book, they are extraordinary. The conversations that happened on that museum floor in front of this credible object yeah. were absolutely fascinating. Uh, 87% of our visitors very strongly felt it belonged in Benin, yeah. in Nigeria. And it won't surprise you to know we are working with partners in Nigeria to yeah. make that a reality. But actually what was almost more interesting was by framing it and having a question, it started to really open up other perspectives. Mm. And, and, you know, if the focus could try to be on how we understand each other mm. rather than setting us against each other, we might manage to navigate the next few years a little bit better than we have the last yeah. couple.
1: Mm. The the college I went to, university you know, in mm. Cambridge, is um, also had a, a Benin bronze. Yeah, and there was a big debate about it there. And it was interesting that you used the word looted there, because that is obviously the provenance of a lot of museum items, and mm. um, particularly mm. museums that, that that were built or or opened during the British Empire. So I wonder. How you really sort of see the future of this. You've got millions of objects in the museum. I mean, I, I know that includes those frogs and toads that we wrote about. So I'm, they're not going to be repatriated, hopefully. Although they actually one of them did go back to South America, didn't it? When we wrote that. Yeah, night. we yeah, yeah. They, they actually do. Um, and home. we work
2: with I mean it's about it's about it's a it's a great question. So it's how you work with people. So yeah. one of the um one of the things that I think is always slightly shocking if you don't work in museums mm. is we don't know enough about our collections.
1: Right.
2: Um, so I can't tell you, we have four and a half million objects yeah. in Manchester Museum. Yeah. I can't tell you what proportion of those were taken. And yeah. it's it's a really interesting, you know, it's very, very difficult mm. to so you know my work's called the provenance of collections, mm. the work we have to do around. Understanding more about where these collections came from and the provenance, it really isn't straightforward. So, if you look at the work we have returned to Australia, I have got no neat pieces of paper found in an archive anywhere that tell me they were looted.
1: Yeah.
2: Nothing. I've got no evidence to back that up. But what I have is conversations with Indigenous leaders who say very clearly these are spiritual. Yeah. No. No, none of my ancestors would ever willingly have given these to anyone. And so there are, in a way, the grounds on which we make assessments Mm. are grounds about ownership. And that's because we're in a Western context and because we are an institution of empire. I suppose what I'm interested in as much as as that Mm. is how we maybe slightly change the nature of debate Mm. and how do we find room for debates which are about the emotional and spiritual and kind of broader and relational issues to do with our collections yeah. and that is much more complicated yeah. actually because it isn't black or white. We had a First Nations visit mm. just last week mm. where on the one hand there was one object that they highlighted in our stores that would never knowingly have been given. Oh really? And it was actually deeply upsetting. And at the same time, almost five minutes later, they formally thanked us for looking after their collections. Yeah. Now these are—it's not straightforward. And I'm back to the complexity word. Yeah. But part of this for me is, if you really understand the values that drive you, you are in a position—if mm. you run a museum—to do something truly extraordinary, yeah. which is to work with partners and to support whether it's cultural revitalization within their communities, or address some of the injustices and trauma that have resulted from collections now being housed in your institution. And the reality is, you know, we've got a lot of things. So although we return 43 secret sacred ceremonial items to Australia, we still have 4,000 items from Australia. And those communities are now working with us to interpret them so we fully understand them. And we can use them effectively and we can share with people in Manchester and beyond the significance of those objects, and it's really important to those communities. They want us to know about their communities and their practices.
0: That's really interesting. I've got to say, by the way, I'm kind of, I'm kind of really pleased you're the director of Manchester Museum and not me because that sounds <laughs> incredibly complicated, <laughs> and really delicate but fascinating, yeah,
1: yeah, it, it does. It's obviously such an interesting time to be running a Mm. cultural organisation like this because, as Mm. you say, the political temperature is quite hot, and I Mm. think we've seen with another museum that you, I think you used to run the Whitworth, didn't you? That's right.
2: I used to work at the Whitworth. Yeah,
1: I didn't run it. Yeah, you know, we had this situation with the Whitworth Mm. where there was a lot of controversy over a particular display involving the the Israel Palestine Mm. conflict. Mm. I think Alistair Hudson, the the director, Mm. there was, you know, reportedly. Um, forced out over that issue. You've had artists saying we're not going to display our works at at the Whitworth. I mean, I don't don't know if you have any day-to-day involvement with the Whitworth now, but how do you see those things? How do you navigate this thing between Mm -hmm. free speech on the one hand and artistic sensitivities and political sensitivities on the other? It looks like a minefield.
2: Yeah, I think, um, so I do, I mean, Alistair Hudson and I, we are co-directors of something called the Manchester Museums Partnership, Yeah. so that's uh, Manchester Museum, Manchester Art Gallery and the Whitworth together are funded by Arts Council, yeah. so have a lot to, to do with the Whitworth and with work with, you know, we all work very closely together, as you might imagine. Sure. I think, and rather than me comment on something which is, you know, on, ongoing, mm. um I think part of this for me is about being really clear what you stand for and what the values are, drive you by you. I don't mean me individually, I mean us as an organisation. And if you, you know, in our case, we talk about what a commitment to inclusion Mm. might mean and how that might shape our work. Mm. What an ethics of care means for an organization Mm. like ours Mm. and and actually what commitment to imagination is as well and for me all you can really do is hone in on those values and be true to those and open up these conversations with colleagues and partners and Mm. communities across the city to think about actually what can we do that's useful to this city as we move forward what might it need an organization like ours to be because i think you're right is it is very easy there are some kind of touch papers it's easy to get into quite challenging territory where your everything feels very oppositional and it's you're either this or you're either that you know i don't know about you but living in an either or world it's really exhausting and actually the reality is it feels more like the world is and and, and. so Be really clear. I mean, I absolutely work for the University of Manchester and I can honestly say in this role I've never once had any concerns about the University of Manchester's commitment to artistic and academic freedom. Yeah. In fact the University of Manchester's board unanimously supported repatriation and we were the first museum in Europe to do it yeah. so it's none of this is straightforward but I think if you can be really clear yeah. about what it is you stand for I'm not sure you can do any more than that
0: mm. that's really fascinating really interesting and when can we visit again, Esme? Because it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, oh, it's currently close you know,
2: to the
1: renovations at the moment. When are the frogs going to be viewable again?
2: <laughs> oh, so one of the hardest things, and actually, I'll be honest, it's I don't like it. I, I, you, I run at a museum because I love that moment when people and collections come together. Mm. It's like an alchemy. Um, And uh, and actually, it's really difficult running a museum, uh, even though I think we're doing exciting things, we're getting everything ready, but we haven't got visitors. Mm. So it's it's not what we want, but we will get there. So mid-February, February the 18th, Those doors will be open and uh, yeah, come explore, see what you think. But yeah, and we just hope, I remember when I was interviewed for this role, because i would never been a director anywhere before. And they asked me one of those kind of awful questions, which was sort of a, when you leave the role, you know, what, what will it look like? How will you know the difference you've made? And Oh, hideous question. And and I know they said, you know, it's really interesting. Lots of other people we interviewed talked about how the, audience would be diversified and this project be delivered on time and you know we'd done this 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 and you just turned and looked at us and just said oh it'll be more widely and deeply loved mm. <laughs> and I do think it might actually be that simple and I, I partly say it because you know like many people in Manchester my kids grew up crawling around on those museum floors mm. it was part of our lives and so I go all over the city and I bump into people who either came there on a school trip or they bring their kids or, you know, they've got this relationship to it, which is really, you know, we we want to look after that. We really care about that, but we also really desperately want to need our museums to involve and include more people and for it to be a place where everyone feels they belong. So more widely and deeply loved is the plan. Um, Let us know whether we've succeeded. (laughs) Ah,
0: We will for sure. People will, won't they? That's the thing. They really will. You know, a a, a part of the cultural landscape that people are really passionate about. Uh, Esme, they clearly have an incredibly passionate and dedicated custodian of it in you. (laughs) It's been really brilliant to have you on the podcast and and maybe we could come down on the 18th of February and we'll we'll do our podcast from there may be oh that would be
2: fantastic <laughs> yes we'd love it
0: let's make that happen <laughs> esme thank you so much thanks
2: pleasure
0: esme ward the director of manchester museum speaking to us on the manchester weekly that's it from us for this week don't forget you'll have a news briefing in your podcast feed on thursday all you need to do is like and subscribe you'll get the ins and outs of what's going on in greater manchester direct to your podcast feed Every Thursday, and a deep dive into a story or a fascinating person like this one every Sunday. And more big stories like that, things to do in and around Greater Manchester by subscribing to the mill manchestermill.co.uk.